Any information that is discussed in this podcast is not professional medical advice, but rather the opinion of the host and their guests. If you wish to alter yours or someone else's diabetes regime, as always, seek professional medical advice. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Immune Kamikaze podcast. This episode, I've got a, a guest that I've been wanting to speak to for quite some time. Uh, she's quite an accomplished uh, individual. Um, she's got type 1 diabetes, and she's here with me to talk a little bit about um, her diabetes and her amazing um, athletic endeavors. Just before we start talking, I'll just give you a brief rundown. So her name is Monique Hanley. Uh, she's the only member of the only female member of the race across America as part of the team type one, uh, where they set a new course record. Uh, she's followed the Tour de France solo on a bike. She's ridden across Canada on an approximately 7,800 kilometer ride. She's won a bronze medal at the Australian National Track Championships. She's a previous member, uh, board member of Cycling Victoria. She's also a founder of Hypoactive, uh, a diabetic organization. She's also got a Bachelor of Applied Science and a Master of Business Administration. Welcome, Monique. Thank you, Darcy. Don't, I don't quite have the MBA yet, but this year, this year. All uh, right. LinkedIn has uh, has misguided me. No, but that's that's quite an impressive uh, list of achievements. Uh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I don't often, you don't often stop and hear it reeled out like that. So it's, yeah, that's quite overwhelming to hear it recorded like that. <laughs> no, it's, so, yeah. Oh, it's quite, yeah, quite, quite impressive. So if, I'd firstly just want to talk a little bit um, about your diabetes, if you don't mind. Um, sure. So I mentioned you've, you've got type one diabetes, just like me. Um, what age were you when you were diagnosed? Yeah, I was diagnosed when I was 19 and um, I was a pretty active basketballer and I was just about to, I was just starting my second year of university um, in Melbourne. I grew up in the country. Yeah, right. And how did you find, um, because I was diagnosed when I was 11, so I mean, I can't really remember um, time before that. How did you find don't you know being a 19 year old and being diagnosed with diabetes you know how, how, that, well, was, that would have been quite challenging yeah yeah well you at, at the time you don't know you don't know if it's more challenging than being diagnosed at any other age I remember um not about 12 months after I was diagnosed I um I got involved with a young group of people living with type 1 called reality check and I remember we had a big forum and we had this presentation and it was kind of like this debate about what was the best age to get diagnosed and so we had someone who was five and someone who was a similar age to you around 11 and then there was 19 and all of us argued that our age was the best age to get diagnosed <laughs> yeah, right okay uh, yeah so there's I mean, there's obviously pros and cons if you don't know life um any other way but now for me I'm I'm pretty old now so I've lived more of my life as a type one. So I don't really think about the days pre-injections. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I've, we, we know family um, friends where they've, uh, their son has been diagnosed when he was two. Um, and I often think, you know, that was probably a good age. It sounds kind of a funny thing to say, but that was probably a good age to be diagnosed at. But yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So um, when you were diagnosed, what, how did that come about? What what sort of symptoms did you have? Um, 
Well, I guess all the classic symptoms, but for me, the things, everything was ex- excusable. Um, so being okay. thirsty while it's summer and it's hot and, I, and I'm training, I was doing pre-season for basketball. I played a pretty high level. Sure. And so everything was, yeah, I'm tired all the time. Well, that's okay because I'm training. So that's all, you know, I can can make excuses for that. But the, there was two things that I couldn't really explain. And one of them was um, I had had the worst thrush imaginable. Right. Um, which, you know, that's great. Let's delve into that straight off on the podcast. And, <laughs> and the, other, the other thing was that I kept needing to go to the toilet um, and that's, I guess, that was I could find excuse. It's hot and I'm drinking a lot. But what really struck me was that I had to go during the middle of the night. And right, I grew up, okay. I grew up on a farm. And when I was little, we had an outside toilet. So we learned very early on to train our bladders as kids to go just before bed and then hold on, develop those bladders of steel until the morning because it was way too scary to go out in the middle of the night to go to the toilet. Yep. And then suddenly as a 19-year-old, I was getting up and just could not wait. I had to go multiple times a night and I had never done that. So I knew something was wrong. That was, It was the toilet trips that really, that really started to alarm me. Yeah, right. And, and you, you were losing a bit of weight as well? I presume. Yeah, that was also excusable because, you know, I was doing pre-season training and people are going, geez, you're looking good, you're looking fit, Monique. And I was like, yeah, I am. I'm I'm doing pre-season. It's, you know, yeah. getting, it's getting up to the starting games. And then I was, I, I was a guard and I was just so tired all the time. And I remember I would, you can, in basketball, if you're smart, you can, you can cheat a little bit. And I found myself, instead of running, you know, baseline to baseline, I was, I was running three point line, top of the three point line to the top of the three point line. So, you yeah, know, only, right. only really covering half the court because I was so exhausted. Um, but I, I just, you know, just was ma- still making excuses, but um, yeah, the toilet one was, was a bit weird and I had to have a blood test for something else. And, um, and it, and it just came up. Luckily they, had a glucose test in that and it showed a high reading. So that all triggered everything else. It's really interesting to hear you talk about how you were making excuses because me and my family did the same thing. Um, yeah, like he's tired. Oh, he's just, he's just a young kid. He's had a, you know, a busy day at school and yeah. whatever. But yeah. yeah, it's funny. And do you feel that uh, diabetes changed your life like obviously it's it's life-changing but do you find that it did it hinder you from doing anything or did it light a spark in you and go you know what I, I don't care that I've got diabetes I'm gonna I'm gonna show them did, we, did you sort of find that um yeah I had a bit of 19 year old um I can take this challenge on sort of bravado about me um but when they first sat me down and told me I the first thing I went was I'm a basketballer like I'm not a human I i basketball is me and my life um you you better not be telling me that I have this and I have to stop playing basketball so that and luckily they said no no exercise is good and I was like oh okay phew and then I had a moment moment to process it all and then I realized oh my god I've just paid a university student just paid for a um or you could drink a ball ticket. We had university balls and you'd pay for a ticket and back then yeah, it was right. all you could drink alcohol. And it, like, <laughs> the tickets cost a lot of money and I'd scrimped, scrimped and saved and I was like, 
oh my god, I've just paid for this ticket. Oh my god! So I said to the doctor, um, um, I I drink alcohol. Is that going to be okay? <laughs> and um, yeah, right. And luckily, he said, uh, yeah, that's that's all right. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So <laughs> keen to find out how you got involved uh, with cycling. So you're obviously a basketballer. What? How did you transition into cycling? Uh, well, I I really, even though it was the start of the preseason and it was actually I um, the week after I was diagnosed, I was back playing the start of the season. So I tried to carry on as per usual with um, despite the diagnosis. But what I, in hindsight, I probably didn't go back and really think it through a lot. And um, sure. I just, I found it, there's a couple of things that made it quite difficult. One was there was a, a lack of, awareness by my team so I I found in some games that when it was really tight you know I'd I'd be taken off and and I was I'd get really frustrated and I think it was because they didn't know that they could trust me um to you know I I might go low or or something silly like that um when I was always you know proud of that I could always be a final player or when when the games are really tight I was that's you know my time to shine sort of thing and mm-hmm. um, just the just the pressure of university and basketball commitments and and diabetes as well became became really tiresome. So I decided to after my uh, second year with diabetes, I I quit basketball right. and I stacked on the weight massively. Okay. And I uh, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, "Look, you are just one of those people that has to exercise every day." For the rest of your life. Yeah, okay, jeez. And, okay, yeah, sure. And it was just a throwaway line and I'm sure that the doctor won't ever recall saying that to me, but it really struck with me and I sort of walked away going, okay, right, what can I do every day that I'll never get sick of? And cycling was it. And that was cycling. Yeah. And did you did you just go and buy a bike and, and jump on it and start uh, you know, riding around the countryside, or did you? Did you have a family or friend? I guess, yeah. To begin with, I, I borrowed my mum's bike, um, bef- okay. and then I inadvertently got it stolen outside uni. And um, I think I borrowed another bike of mum's. I, I oh, I had a had a bike. I had a secondhand bike loaned from a friend, and and I just ride around town. Um, yeah, uh, ride to. I was. I'd fill in for friends with netball, so I'd ride out there. I remember doing that, and just started riding around town, and then eventually got a got another bike, and then started doing longer rides. Discovered Beach Road in Melbourne, and oh yes, and just yep. started. Yeah, just started riding. Um, yeah. And do you find? Well, how did you? How did you manage your diabetes? Did you just, you know, take some food with you and in, in, in your insulin, or did you speak to your doctor before you, you know, got into cycling? Or, yeah, how did you go about that? Yeah, I think I was really lucky with that because uh, when I started cycling, it was like this new, it was a new thing for me, and and then learning how to manage diabetes was, it was this new journey together, as opposed to basketball, where I already knew, you know, so to speak, how to play basketball, and I, mm-hmm. and this diabetes thing was a bit of a nuisance to come in on top of my game so cycling and me and my diabetes we were all learning together so Mm -hmm. I think I didn't have a a plan that I remember but I I just recall you know 
um, having having bags of lollies and having soggy pockets full of lollies and those sort of things. <laughs> um, um, and just, but no real rhyme or reason to it, nothing um, like I'd sort of have learned since and what I'd recommend to people today um, on how to, how to learn about how to do it. So, yeah, it was just kind of winging it, I guess. That um, when you said soggy uh, pockets, that really struck a chord because when I first started surfing uh, with diabetes, I used to put jelly beans in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, and I would wrap, zip it, wrap it up, and stick it down the arm of my wetsuit. Yeah. and uh, when I would finish the surf, I'd take my wetsuit off, and I'd have a, a rainbow-colored arm. Oh my god! Um, because obviously <laughs> the water would get in the wetsuit. <laughs> Lovely. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the things, uh, the things diabetics do. Yeah, the pockets for, for, would uh, stick together, and. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So moving on, um, you've ridden across Canada. Mm-hmm. How did you? What What made you decide to do that? Oh, I I heard from a friend of um, they somehow or other, and I don't even know how the conversation. I think I was riding a little bit, so people knew that I was really interested in cycling, and someone sent me a link to this organisation that runs annual bike rides across Canada and it was called Cycle Canada and I went wow you know that's great put it in my back pocket um, but in the meantime I took I got a, a a visa to work over in Canada so I was over there and working I brought my bike over um, worked on the highways over there and then ended up working in a consulting firm in Vancouver while everyone else was um, working all you know friends and connections were all working in the ski fields I stayed in Vancouver and my plan was to work through the winter and then ride across Canada in the summer and um, so yeah that was the grand plan and I remember going to my endo um, before I left going this is what I'm hoping to do and I said do you have any advice for me and they said "Uh, yeah you'll have to reduce your insulin (laughs) and that was the only advice I received. So a question that I see sort of pop up from time to time on Facebook, some of the diabetes groups is how do I travel with diabetes? Uh, what, what did you do? Did you bring across all your insulin supplies to Canada or did you sort of get some scripts and, and buy stuff when you're over there? Um, uh, yeah, with when I was going for long periods of time, yeah, always filled the scripts, take extra okay. scripts, you know, you, you pack heaps, but with the with that particular Canada trip, I remember I had um, I had connections that kindly were safe houses for me. So I'd leave you know boxes of spare test strips and um, a script of insulin and a whole bunch of stuff with them, um, and say so, you know I'll see you in a couple of months or or whatever the time frame might be, and then I'd come back and access my supplies. <laughs> well, I found. That, That's a good idea. that was a handy technique to to do um yeah so you i just winged it i also remember back then i'm pretty sure it was at that trip we we had a internet forum through reality check the young adults with diabetes uh website and we had people from all over the world on that forum and someone was from canada and uh getting accessing test strips was really expensive um right. if you're a international uh, person living in Canada. So mm-hmm. we got together, a few of us in Melbourne, and um, everyone cashed in their healthcare cards and maxed out their 
uh, test strip allocations and pulled them together. And I, <laughs> I took over um, 20 months worth of test strip supplies for this person. Oh, really? And we met, we met in, the, in this car, car park outside Calgary of the, the Winter Olympic main site and we met at the car park there and this woman who I'd never met just just met online, um, her and I met in the car park and I gave her a black bag <laughs> with all these test strips <laughs> and she gave me $20 because that's how much 20 months worth of supply cost uh, in Australia back in the day on a healthcare card. Yeah, so. Right. <laughs> that's really interesting. Like I, um, I remember when slight tangent here but i remember when i was at uni i had a healthcare card because uh, obviously you're not earning a lot of money yeah. um and I, it was like a i can't remember exactly but it was a few bucks for a, a box of test strips and then when i you know finished uni and, and and started working full time you know they're like 15 20 bucks a box you buy a couple at the one time it's really bloody expensive yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah right that's a really ingenious idea so did you do um much uh, training for the ride across Canada? Yeah, oh, not before I left Australia. I was kind of I was um, doing doing the occasional Sunday ride. I was doing very little really. Um, would ride a little bit with my mum down in Gippsland, and um, yeah, but other than that, very little. So I did a little bit of training when I was in Canada, and I remember one day um, a friend who wasn't doing the cycle trip, her and I. We drove up, oh, my God, drove up into the inland, I don't know, a couple of hundred k's outside of Vancouver and she was off to visit friends for the weekend. So she dropped me off and the plan was I'd ride back to Vancouver for the um, for the weekend. Well, it was, I was unfit and unprepared and it was an absolute nightmare. And these are the days before mobile phones and everything and, I don't I don't know how I did it but I somehow I got to a town my I I was in so much pain I think my I think I was suffering from saddle sores or something and I ended up I mm-hmm. somehow got hold of her I got into the town and I on a payphone I called her and um and I just I remember laying on this park bench waiting for her to pick me up <laughs> to take me back <laughs> so yeah I had really successful <laughs> training (laughs) but I did but I did ride the Cedar Sky I remember riding the Cedar Sky Highway up to um up towards Whistler and uh okay that I still have memories of that it was beautiful riding and so I did do a little bit of training around Vancouver which is nice and hilly um so yeah would would have done a bit um but it was nothing compared to the actual ride which was um you know we averaged 130 k's a day and we'd have a rest day every six on the sixth day or something. So we'd ride five, then have a rest day or so. So certainly different impact to the body uh, when you're working compared to when you're working five days a week. So it was yeah, yeah, it was a big change, and I learned a lot, learned a huge amount on the impact of exercise and the impact of adjusting. Um, uh, the impact of adaptation, really. So, you know, after the first week, you, you, my insulin needs just dropped dramatically. And then sure. I got to about day four or day five, and then I realised that they plateaued and then they started to increase a little bit. And so, 
and then it and then it plateaued out again. So I was I kind of ended up doing the whole trip at around sitting at around two thirds pre two thirds of the dose that I'd normally take before the ride, um, and that was okay. also allowing the fact that I was eating like an absolute maniac as well. So if you factor that in, I was sure. really sure. I was really taking very little insulin. <laughs> yeah, right. And what what um were you were you on a pump at that point or were you on daily injections? Yeah, no, I was on injections. And I remember, yeah. yeah, so I had I had to have backups and I had to keep things cool because it was through the summer. Um we had a we had a camp truck that would drive up to the next campsite. So there was about 26 of us on this trip and we'd pack all our tent and all the supplies up and they would drive the poor summer uni guy <laughs> would drive the truck to the next um, campsite. And, um, and then we'd spend all day riding, getting to that destination. So if I, if something went wrong, it was, you know, up to 130 Ks before I got all my backup supplies I remember I left yeah, my gee. insulin pens at a at a photo stop or something one day, so I just left that and um, had to wing it until I got into camp that night and got my backup pens. So yeah, a few few little hurdles all coming back to me now. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's quite phenomenal. Um, I think the most I've ever ridden in a week is probably like a thousand k's, and yeah. Well, that's we a pretty were, big week. We were in a hotel at night. <laughs> It is, but I mean, yeah, that's not to back it up and do, you know, seven or eight of those. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, 7,800 kilometers in total. Yeah. Um, so just, just to sort of move along a little bit, um, I'm not sure of the timelines. Maybe they were close together. Um, you, got, you got involved with Team Type 1, which is an old diabetic uh, or, you know, diabetic-focused cycling team. I'm not sure if they're all diabetics at that point in time. Yeah, they were. Um, you might be able to – okay, awesome. H- how did you get involved with those guys? Yeah. Yep. So that was about, um, I think 2006, I used to religiously um, follow the cycling news on cyclingnews.com. And um, I was also at that time racing um, involved with the local club that I was with and also trying to try track cycling as well and get and get better on the track. So I was pretty active racing and training and just living a cycling life while while working to fund it. And um, I remember reading one day on Cycling News this this little news snippet about this team that was going to do the race across America and the team was all people with type 1 diabetes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is me. This is, mm. this is, wow, oh, my God. <laughs> and um, so I've been racing a fair bit and I ha- was having a little bit of success in Victoria and I thought, oh well, I wonder, I wonder if uh, it's worth a shot. So I, I hurriedly looked them up and found an email address and shot them an email. And I said, look, you guys sound great, but you know, if you have an injury or something in the team, you know, I'm available. Here's my, here's my race results. And, yeah, uh, right. and I got I, amazingly, I got a response that was very polite, going, yeah, the team's full. Um, you know, keep trying, <laughs> sort of thing, and you know. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for your your comments. And I was like, oh, okay. Yep. Um, all right. That was a bit silly. But so I sort of forgot about it. And about six months later, out of the blue, the same guy emailed me back and said, um, 
g'day, how you going? You're still racing. What are your plans next year? And this was November 2006. And that was Phil Sutherland, the founder of um, Team Type 1. And, yeah, the email was basically inviting me to do the race across America in 2007. That's awesome. So what do you, yeah, what right, do you say so, to that? You say, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you pretty much jumped on a plane and, and headed over well, and, and started cycling? Well, not quite. I was, I was still, I, I said, okay, the, yeah, that's great, but I've got a full summer of track racing coming up and I've got all these goals. So, um Amazingly, he he followed my racing results that were online, and um, you know offered encouragement. And then that sort of I think those results helped to confirm my place. And yeah, that I sort of I, I actually I didn't the race didn't start until early June, and I didn't meet them in person until three days before the the race. So yeah, I had yes. to I did all the race prep in Australia and. Yeah, sort of went there, not really knowing what to expect, knowing a little bit about the race, but really not knowing what I was getting myself in for. So, um, how does how does the race sort of work? Like, I was watching a YouTube uh, video of you yesterday, and you sort of explained it there. But I'm sort of curious to find out a little bit more about it. Like, how did you, you know, was it a couple of hours on, a couple of hours off? How did you sort of manage your, your sugar levels? Because I assume, you know. Well, I know that continuous glucose monitoring wasn't as prevalent back then. Like, were you just finger pricking all the time? Like, how did you go about that? Um, yeah, so three days beforehand, um, Phil was Phil's very savvy um, salesman, and he had lined up a lot of diabetes companies to support the team. So went so three days oh. beforehand, I got a CGM, which back then was the Abbott Navigator. And I got a new pump, which was the Omnipod wireless insulin pump, uh, so no cable. Right. And then I also got um, a new insulin, which was um, a Pedra back then. Oh, I mean, it's still around. I still use it today. But I, I'd been using yep. uh, Humalog um, at the time, so I had to change pump insulin and how I was monitoring um, all three days before one of the biggest, craziest events you've ever heard of. Um, but, and I guess what, what comforted me was that oh, I'm actually around, um, you know, we're in a team of eight, so there's seven other, seven others who are using all the same equipment, the same tools. So if I stuff up, at least I've got, right. you know, I've got some good peers to help me get through it. So as scary as it, yeah, right. as it seemed, and I was scared, particularly with the insulin change, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty smooth transition because I was just surrounded by, so much support and and so much interest and when you do an event like that which is racing really intensively you think a 24-hour race is nice and cruisy it's like a sprint and each time you do an effort it's yeah. a anywhere between a three minute to a 10 minute all-out effort um and then you have have a break so we have um the team of eight is split into two groups of four and so we have four on and four off and the four off are in a RV, um, trying to get some sleep and driving up the road. And the four that are on are in and out of a little, um, kind of like a little minivan. And so we're rotating and we are sprinting flat out for, yeah, between, yeah, in on a, on a mountain we're going very short, very short efforts, so one to two minutes. And then 
jump sure. back in the van, you try and get your breath back, you're at an elevation, it's not possible, and then you're back out again. And then you've got your support crew, which are two people, a driver and a support, and they're getting bikes on and off the roof flat out. It's really, it, as much as you describe it, um, the second year I did it, my brother um, came across, my brother and my cousin came across and did the crew. And, he, you know, my brother said to me, you, it didn't matter how much you told me about how intense it was, and not until you've lived it do you realise how full on the whole event is and it's just constant. So... Yeah, a shift, what we call a shift, would last anywhere between four or five hours up to our longest shift was nine hours. And then you swap over, the next team of four would come on and they'd hopefully be nice and fresh. And then and then uh, the four that would come off would try and get a, a shower, get something to eat, go into recovery mode, and then try and jump in a rocketing, rolling RV and try and get some sleep and move up the road ready to go again. And it didn't matter. You, you always felt like your shift, you know, the other team was having a shorter shift. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the longest ride I've had in a day or the longest, yeah, the, amount, the most amount of hours I've ridden in one day is like, I don't know, seven hours or eight hours. And that was for the roundabout in a day. And that was like yeah. 200Ks. I didn't do the, the super long. And I was absolutely spent. So I can't, I'm just imagining like multiple days of that. But like when you do the roundabout in the day, you're not doing it super flat out. Like I just can't even imagine what it would have been like. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, it's, it is really it, – and even talking about it now, it's, you know, it's over 10 years ago now and, um, you know, people look at me now and go, there's no way you, you did anything like that. It was it was a dream and in, and in many ways it, it does feel like a dream because it is really insane. <laughs> it's super insane. <laughs> and to go back to your earlier point about – um, how did you monitor? Well, you know, each time we would carry out um, navigators, which were our CGMs back in the day, and that they weren't they weren't a bad product. Unfortunately, Abbott discontinued them, but it it wasn't because they were crap. They were actually very accurate and really was really good, smart product. Yeah, right. I actually remember um, when I when we did the Moen to Moen together. I remember you yeah. showing me then. Um, and I was like, oh, I've got to get my yeah. hands on one. Yeah, they were great. It's just oh, I miss the Navi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, there's more modern <laughs> products now. Like it, the the products these days crap all over the Navi. But back then, you know, it was it was one of its kind and and really reliable. So we would we would race with them in a little um, plastic, you know, like a, um, a Ziploc bag that we'd shove under our uh, skin suit legs. So we'd shove that in and okay. um, and so when, when you're racing, when you're flat out, um, people would say, oh, you're checking your glucose. And we're like, no, we don't have time. We're, we're going flat out. And then you jump off the bike and you're, and the guy, the poor person who's who's handling us would, would run up to us and grab the bike and run back to the car and we'd waddle back to the car with our legs burning and during that time we'd pull out the Navi and see what the readings are. And uh, you jump in the van if there's if the readings are going low, you start addressing it straight away. You didn't have time to really sit and uh, dilly dally, so you really had to stay on top of it. Yeah, right. But at the same time, we were still doing finger mm. tests, so we didn't we weren't uh, fully confident in the Navi because it was such new technology, and so we were still testing flat sure. out. So, yeah. and because night and day and day, it's just you know you. <sighs> 
it just, it was this crazy 24 hour rolling thing that you just, you felt like you'd had two days in one because you'd slept in the middle of the day because you had a, you know, a five hour break and then you're back on again. There was just this craziness. And so the only way to stay on top of it was to keep checking your navigator and, and doing blood tests. So your whole, your, your bedtime regime for your insulin, you know, all of that was, was pretty much useless. You just had to keep track of what the trends were doing and, and adjusting as you went. That's amazing. I, a point that you made earlier, I suppose I, for the folks that, um, cause I've only recently gone onto a pump myself and I've had diabetes for 20 years. So I suppose that the one point I just wanted to sort of call out for, for the folks that haven't had a pump is, um, you said that you were given these new sort of devices three days before you, um, started the RAM. Um, I, when I got on a pump, I had to take a full day off work and then for the next two weeks, like intensive session yeah. at the hospital. And then for the next two weeks, I was pretty much on the phone um, to the diabetes educators every second day and the endocrinologist going, you know, I think I need to up my insulin, uh, yeah, my insulin or the basal rates. And the, like, so for you just to chuck it on and go for it that's that's uh that's that's crazy well, that's awesome well to be fair i was i'd i'd been on um a medtronic pump for three years so i had i'd learned i'd learned the pump right. i'd sort of done the pump you know apprenticeship if you like so i had i had i just transferred the basal rates across and um and then used okay. you know a new system I mean, there's still a lot to get used to about how you know the functionality works and things are all slightly different and uh, but and then the insulin as well so the change to to the insulin system was about a 10 percent decrease so that i had to keep um okay. had to keep track of that particularly in the lead up to the start of the race but then once the race started the, my first our first hour our shift was about six hours and i was high the whole time because i think it was just all adrenaline and this yeah, yeah, it was right. just crazy. I just I and yeah. you didn't want to take too much insulin to bring it down because you're like this is insane and yeah. so yeah, it was just it was very intense yeah. the first <laughs> the first shift and then your body tries to recover a little bit and then that this I remember the yeah I guess the next five ten shifts after that you were pretty much struggling to keep the blood sugar up. A question uh, that I've sort of wanted to ask another diabetic for a while, um, because when I was when I was at uni, I had a cycling coach, um, and you, you, we were sort of you know training you know once or twice a day. Um, do you find that when you were doing your cycling or your training prep for the RAM, did you find that your diabetes impacted your recovery times? It was a long time ago, so I, I can't really recall specifically, but I do remember instances where. Yeah, I guess that that second day impact from a particularly a multi day event would always, you know, be a lot harder for for me as a type one compared to my teammates who weren't who 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 weren't type one. So, for example, doing the bay crits, mm. which if you don't aren't familiar with the bay crits, they're very intense criterium racing around Melbourne over the summer days. And back then it was, I think, five days in a row. And the first day I had a killer of a day. I had a really great day out and did really well. Then the second day I was, I was in a hole and and it and it took me a couple of days before I, I felt good again. And compared to my my teammates who were able to uh, just, uh, yeah, possibly recover quicker than I could. 
So, yeah, there's probably instances of that. On the track, um, similarly, but it's more to do about just the ability to allow the – allow the the liver to recover i reckon and and mm-hmm. and we are i i do believe type 1s are are at a disadvantage to do that so there was a philosophy mm-hmm. that we took into ram where we we tried to address that and so about 10 minutes before each shift so if if you're going 5 6 9 hour shift about 10 minutes beforehand we we were instructed to take a massive bolus of insulin um, so the equivalent of matching 70 carbs, so whatever that is, depending on your ratio. And then mm-hmm. um, so we're still in the vans and we're still rotating through and we've got a significant amount of insulin on board. And then soon we'd, soon as we'd rock up to the tr- the shift changeover, we we were met with the, um, the support crew who would give us a um, – a high high glucose and protein drink um, as a recovery. So the idea would be that the insulin would be starting to kick in, and then we'd have the drink, and then that would hopefully speed up the recovery process. So that was the yeah, right. that was the philosophy that we took on board. Um, yep. Sometimes that worked, and I reckon and I don't know if tech if technically it works, and if there's been any evidence to support that or not. But we. We certainly believed in it and I, I thought it was it was brave because sometimes that 10 minutes before the shift ended turned out to be 20 minutes and we'd all have a lot of insulin on board and we'd be starting to get pretty nervous. Um, yeah, <laughs> naturally yeah. so, yeah. Um, but generally, um, yeah, that was that was a big lesson that I took out of that and and after the race I'd come home and I, and I tried to adopt that philosophy as well. But um yeah, sure. Yeah, now that I'm old yeah. and, no, and, uh, and retired, <laughs> I, don't, you know, I don't have to worry about those things. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, a, an interesting question, uh, well, I think it's interesting anyway, is that during some of the Tour de France's, uh, athletes have been found with insulin um, and they've used it for performance-enhancing yeah. um, sort of yeah. reasons. Um, did you... Did you have to declare that you're taking insulin as part of the racing that you were doing um, with, with the sort of testing authorities? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's um, in 2012 they revised the guidelines on that. So as long as a type one is competing up to a, um, a national level, you can go, you can compete as per normal. And then if you have a, if you are subject to a um, a, a test then you can declare as you're um as you're doing the test on what you've had and the, and the rationale for sure. that but back in the day if you were competing at all and um had the potential for having a a, a blood doping test then you already had to have the um the tue so the therapeutic therapeutic use exemption so I got mine. Okay, sure. I got mine back in two thousand and five, and back then it was pretty awesome. They, they, I think the max time was three years or five years for a TUE, but they gave me an indefinite one, which was pretty awesome, um, and I thought valid as well. And then I don't know, five six years ago, they checked their records and realised that I still had this indefinite TUE, and they decided to shut it down. So they. Um, they took they took me off it, so I don't have a current TUE, but that's all right. I'm not. 
not subject to a blood <laughs> test anyway, a doping control test. But yeah, <laughs> right. we also, yeah, so we, yeah, yeah, so insulin has always been a banned, um, a banned substance. And there's also been some tricky things also as a board member. So with, um, we had to, to be a board member of Cycling Body, you have to make a doping declaration. And okay. the questions at the time was, have you ever taken a banned substance? And there was no opportunity. It was just a yes, no. And I was like, well, yes. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's been, there's been a few little silly things happen in the past, but yeah. I mean, I've, I've had people ask me in the, you know, in the past, like, you know, you're taking insulin, you must be able to recover quicker. And it's like, well, well, yeah, I have to take because if I don't, I die. So, like, you know, it's it just sort of levels things up a bit. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't think I get any performance yeah. enhancing, you know, benefits out of it. It's yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I do, I do remember. I remember a a doctor who was a specialist in type one and exercise talking about that and saying, yeah, so you there is the theory that of recovery benefits, but uh, yeah, compared to the disbenefits of not taking insulin for a type one, yeah, there's there's no question. So. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, where our recovery is impacted by our sugar levels yeah. as well. Like, so, we're, you know, it's, it's, there's so many sort of factors yeah. at play. Yeah. All right. To take a sort of shift in a, another direction um, now or different direction from the cycling. Um, back in 2004, you founded uh, a group called Hypoactive and that's how you and I came yeah. to meet a few yeah. years ago. Uh, can you explain sort of what, what made you create Hypoactive? Yeah, so oh, um, it was it was pretty pretty conservative aspirations back in the day. I think um, we I came back from came back from a trip. It might have been after I crossed Canada, I think, and I came back home and I met a mate who I used to work with at Reality Check, and we talked about. Um, well, she talked about, hey, there's, you know, what, what, that's pretty interesting what you did and what you've learned and everything. And, and I said, yeah, like, wouldn't it be cool to hang out with other people interested in exercise? And so we got talking about all of that stuff. And, um, and then I had this idea, I'd, with my, through my mum, I'd, I'd ridden in a group that had done the event called the Murray to Moyne, which is a 24 hour relay charity, not anywhere near as intense as RAM. Um, but, this it, this fun uh, thing that hospitals and health related charities do to raise money for their hospital or health related charity. So um, it's it's basically rides from one side of Victoria, the north part of the, the Victoria, down to this small town called Port Ferry. And I had done it with the local Warrigal Hospital or the or one of the charities down in Warrigal, and I just loved it and thought that it was the format would really suit people who had type 1 diabetes. So on our little reality check forum, I did this little call out, uh, hey, I've got this idea, would anyone be interested in doing this bike ride, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I convinced over the internet, not meeting any of them, I convinced seven other people to do it. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's awesome. I organised the local bike shop in Warrigal, Phil Gallagher, love you, um, borrowed his van and I think my dad drove one of the vehicles and my brother drove another vehicle and 
we got we scrambled it all together and eight motley type ones um <laughs> got together <laughs> to do this bike ride and I think we raised money for the for reality check or or something um uh, back then and it was it was uh, compared to the slick operation that that's the event nowadays um it was pretty it was pretty rough so we, we would go okay come on it's you know time for a team changeover who's ready to go out and, and be like silence <laughs> and and then you know we'd like oh I, I I drove the bus one shift because um everyone was too tired or something it's just okay I'll drive so we got into um we got into Hamilton at about I don't know 5 a.m I reckon and we had an hour sleep and then <laughs> and ride to Port Ferry, which is 90Ks away. And it was, oh, it was yeah. nuts. And, like, <laughs> not not knowing the background of your riders is probably the first fatal error of, the, of a venture like that. <laughs> so <laughs> one guy, I mean, I love them all, and they were so amazing and so brave, and we had such a great weekend despite the challenges. But one guy said, oh, yeah, I ride to work. I ride to work every day and I'm like, wow, you are in. You are you must be fit. That is great. <laughs> anyway, he rocks up and bless his soul, he's got this old mountain bike and um I I had failed to ask how far away work is. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just a yeah, it was it was three Ks, so <laughs> he was yeah, he was right. good he was good, good for three Ks. <laughs> And then after that, he'd, he'd literally pull over, and we'd have to pick him up. And so <laughs> we're losing losing riders in the first hour. <laughs> we, had, we had another guy who was so excited, and we, it was it was this it was a really great adventure. And he was so excited to 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 be going out and hanging out with all these type ones. And it really yeah, and it was it was fabulous. But a couple of them went out. The Friday night and had a few drinks. It's, oh, it's just, it's just at, crazy. Why would you do pub? that anyway? They, they did, <laughs> and so he he was throwing up, and it was like, <laughs> nah. we need him off the bus, but we need the bus to follow. And and the event organizers were like, going, "You guys are so slow. You have to drive up the road." And I'm like, no. <laughs> We're raising money. People are backing us. We we can't we we can't do that. So there's this all these dramas that happened on that first year, but we had a very oh, funny time despite all those all those hiccups. And I'm sure everyone um, saw the the angry side of me a few times. And I'll be like, right, I'll I'll go out. I'll ride again. So we end up yeah crazy craziness. And we got back and we went right. Let's do this again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, yeah that that was that that coming back and reflecting on it was the um was the genesis of forming um hypoactive and i can definitely vouch i mean i've only done the hypoactive oh, sorry the murray tamoyan ride once um, but it, it is for anyone that's listening and they you know they're a diabetic and they want to get involved with other diabetics and um it, it is an amazing ride. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I still can remember sleeping in Hamilton 
on the yeah. floor, <laughs> on the on the hard floor. I think I just had a small firm arrest, yeah. and uh, and getting up the next day and punching out another just ninety k's. But it was awesome because I was it was sort of the first time that I'd caught up with yeah. other diabetics and uh, you know sh- shared war war stories and stuff because I never did any of the diabetic yeah. camps as a kid. Um, it sort of didn't really interest me, but it, yeah. it was awesome. And um, and and yeah, that was no, it. That it was it wasn't so much the suffering out on the road, although the suffering makes it amazing. But it's that time between shifts when everyone's on the bus and you're sharing those war stories and you're talking crap and you're making all these stupid diabetic jokes that only diabetics would laugh at. And that just it was just really amazing. And despite and despite all our different backgrounds. And different fitness levels and our different people had all to do all sorts of weird and random jobs and like it was the only thing we had in common was was crappy bikes and and, um, and, diabetes. <laughs> and, and diabetes and and that was enough you know that was enough to really really bond with people and and make it really special yeah um, for, for anyone that's listening and you want to get involved with Hypoactive, there's a, a Facebook group. Uh, so just search for that and you, you'll see it pop up. Um, yeah, so just to sort of ask you a couple of sort of slightly philosophical questions um, yeah. about diabetes. Um, have you ever wondered what causes diabetes? And if so, what do you, what do you think it is? Um, well... I guess I guess I haven't laid on a car bonnet for a while and looked up at the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it, it it is a bit of a random question, but it's it's something that I do think about from time to time, and I'm just curious to see if other diabetics. Think next about next it as time, well. Darcy, we do this. We're on a bonnet <laughs> or in the back of a Ute. We record it, looking up right. at the stars. Um, I guess, <laughs> yeah, it's not something I think about much anymore, um, but. But I do, yeah, right. um, and I, it still interests me. And since I've had two kids, I've enrolled them in the India study or the, the youngest is in the India study, which is in. I was going to say I can yeah. feel a segue coming on here because we, we, we've got our boy oh, awesome. in India as well. So can, can, you, can you talk about India a bit? And, and yep. what, what so, yeah, so India stands for Environmental Determinants of Islet um, Autoimmunity. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, that, that's uh, what so, it is. <laughs> something like that. Um, and it, it yeah. tracks um, women uh, who either have type 1 or partner with type 1 or have a type 1 child, uh, a previous child. So it tracks them through pregnancy and then the first three years of the child's life. And it's looking for... Um, impacts and traces of environmental factors that could trigger type 1. And the population of a person with a first relative of type 1 is more interesting because there's a slightly more in, slightly increased risk of a first-degree relative who has type 1 of, of you yourself getting it. So that's why the population is mm. interesting to study, um, more interesting than the general population. So... Yeah, mm. it'd be yeah, it'd be really interesting to see sort of in time to come, you know, what sort of findings yeah. come out of their study because it is it's an amazing sort of program. I was chatting to, um, you know, the the guys. Well, Nikita is one of the, the the girls that runs it down our way anyway, and just some of the stuff that she's talking about. It's really really interesting. Yeah, and um, how old's your son? Yeah, I'm watching that space. 
Uh, he's right. just turned one. Yeah. Yeah. How um, eight and four and a half. So the youngest is that right. once you hit three, <laughs> heads up here, um, you get, you can extend um, your participation in the study. So my youngest um, right. just okay. goes just goes twice a year now and um, does the basic okay. stuff and um, is still involved. But she's getting to a point where she remembers <laughs> um and so the worst thing is is the blood test and um and for a while there she she was having a good run but uh the last one wasn't very pleasant so i'm i'm not sure how oh, okay. you know you get to a point where you know the kids have it's, it becomes a bit of a moral dilemma i think and the kids have autonomy and um why do they want to mm-hmm. be part of mum's study and it's becomes a bit difficult because i've already chosen for them and you know, but you've got to respect their wishes and yeah. should I have yeah. put them in in the first place and all, all that stuff, all, the, all those moral dilemmas are uh, emerging now. Yeah, right. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, it's probably something that we'll have to think about yeah, as well in the but, future. Um, the, old, the oldest sibling um, just started, she's only recently been enrolled in, in trial nets, which is only once a year. And um, I think okay. that'll probably keep them, t- uh, so with the two of them together, they might, stay involved for a bit longer yeah yeah sure yeah that's interesting all right so i've only got a couple more questions for you because i'm conscious that uh you're a working professional (laughs) so you've got a you've probably got stuff to sort out for uh for work tomorrow and put the kids to bed and all the rest of it but um yeah i've just got a couple more questions um this is a question that uh if there are any new diabetics newly diagnosed diagnosed diabetics out there if you were to run into a newly diagnosed diabetic, Monique, um, if you could offer them any advice, what do you think it would be? Um, find, I guess the number one advice is to find find the community. And that's a pretty broad term, but probably find there's so many, um, so they call it broad, the broad term is the Diabetes Online Community, the DOC Um and but that is a very broad church, and there's different subsets all the time. But they're, you know, I guess you're not alone. Number one, and number two, it's a great time to be diagnosed. Um, if there's, you know, to, to put a positive spin on it, and and number three, yeah, find find people who are who are who have have stuff in common with you. And there's been so many, you know, back in the day when we did the race across America, it um we we won and that was an enormous thing for the whole diabetes community particularly in the US it made massive news because no one had really heard of a a team of people living with type 1 excelling no one had really heard about that before so it was just this enormous great positive news story and people clung onto it for a very long time but these days you see so many people doing amazing things uh, living with type 1 and you can go on to any of the groups. A hypoactive group is very supportive no matter what your activity level is. And uh, But there's so many groups. There's Mountains for Active Diabetics. There's um, Elite Diabetics. There's all, sorts of, there's all sorts of subgroups on Facebook. There's all sorts of community groups out there. Um, there's so many, there's so many things to tap into and that really becomes your strength when things get a bit rough. So find, find your little, your tribe, um, your tribe within the tribe 
and um, yeah, find that as quickly as possible and you'll be fine. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with that. And one last question. <laughs> Hopefully this is the, uh, okay. the best question of them all. What is your favorite food to have when you have a low blood sugar level? My favorite hypo food. Your favorite hypo food? Oh, natural confectionery. Um, yeah, dinosaurs oh, or snakes. Uh, in fact, <laughs> that answer has not changed for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that absolutely is my go-to as well. It's funny they actually come with twenty-five percent, or you can buy twenty-five percent less sugar these days in in some of the packs. I'm like, I'm They're not, just not thinking not about us, are they? <laughs> it's funny. Before we uh, did this podcast, I checked the level; it's five point four, and I've I've brought out here on my desk some some oh. low food just in case. But I'm feeling pretty good, <laughs> so I don't need any. Uh, oh, you don't want to see me. I'm I'm three point three with an arrow going down, so. All right, well, we might have to finish Just it there. Disregard everything I said. I was low. I didn't know what I was saying. <laughs> All right, Monique. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. No worries. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, look, there might be another one in the future. I'm sure there's uh, a lot of content potentially we can discuss no further. Thanks, Darcy. All right, thanks, Monique. See ya.